are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. All right. I think I'm in between you and lunch, so I'll try to keep this snappy. Uh, I'm going to talk about how to win in what we're calling a new era of product-led growth. Now, PLG has become a bit of a buzzword lately. seems like everyone is implementing freemium plans, free trials, self-service strategies, Everyone's looking for ways to take things that were done in a manual, people-intensive way and embed it into product-based solutions that are more efficient. So raise your hands in this group. How many have some element of a product-led growth strategy? I see more than half. Uh, For the other half, we'll get you there. (laughs) So everyone's racing to be product-led, and the data shows that PLG adoption is higher than ever. Three in five software companies have some form of product-led growth strategy, uh, and that's data from both the Cloud 100 and OpenView's benchmarks. And a recent survey from Gainsight found that 91% plan to increase their PLG investments, one of the only areas that folks are really consistently increasing their investments right now. I'm a big fan of PLG, as folks might know if they follow what I write about and talk about. Uh, but there's a few things that I, I did want to call a few caveats. One is if everyone is going PLG, how do you stand out and win, right, if PLG is becoming table stakes? And two, how do you make the math work on a PLG funnel? Well, we looked at our product benchmarks data and looked at the journey of 1,000 website visitors for different companies. And in a freemium model, of those 1,000 website visitors, you can expect about 60 will sign up for the free product. About three of them will become paying customers, and their initial starting spend is between $10 and $100 a month. That leaves you with very little money to spend on marketing, very little to spend on advertising. You can't really put a sales rep on most deals, right? And so kickstarting this PLG flywheel Uh, and making it successful becomes really, really challenging. Uh, And so how do you become that next Slack? What my team did is we studied the world's top PLG companies, companies like Datadog, Snowflake, Twilio, and HubSpot, to find out what makes them different. Now, these were companies that are growing very quickly and at scale, so uh, twice as fast as traditional SaaS companies. They see best-in-class net retention and rule of 40, which investors are increasingly looking to. And as a result, they're valued significantly higher, even in today's market. We identified 11 principles of product-led growth. Now, these are principles like building for the end user, uh, building to be discovered, building community as competitive advantage. I'll, and I'll, I'll unpack these <laughs> for, there for folks. Uh, the winners have adopted nine or more of these PLG principles. So you, you don't need to adopt every one of the 11 to be PLG. But the more, the better, right? The better chance you have of standing out and building this generational business. And I wanted to come up with the TLDR for you today instead of bombarding you with 11 principles. So this is the summary. You want to build to be discovered by users in their moment of need. Call that product-led marketing. 
Think about community as the new moat and form of competitive advantage in a PLG model. The pressure is very high to deliver instant value and an instant customer experience. And this is always instant in the context of the alternatives in your market. You then want to monetize after you've delivered this value to customers and ideally monetize on the basis of product usage rather than access or big upfront commitments. Let's get into this first one, building to be discovered by users. Now, we all know the kind of classic B2B sales funnel. I have a simplified version up here, right, where you've got a prospect, they become a lead, turns into an opportunity at various stages. Maybe you do a proof of concept and hope they eventually become a close one customer. Now, there's a lot uh, that I could nitpick about the classic B2B sales funnel, but a couple things in particular stand out for me. It's buyer-focused as opposed to end-user-focused, uh, and it pretty much ignores product interaction as part of the sales process. And the final thing is it's in the context of you as a vendor and your touch points with your prospect as opposed to the user's journey themselves. And we all know users are doing more and more research before they ever want to talk to a sales rep. For PLG products, we think about the user journey. That in, when users find products, they discover them, usually in a moment of pain or friction in their workflow. Right? They have some sort of motivation that, that encourages them to go out and find a new product to solve a problem. They land on your website. They kind of get trust that your product is able to help them uh, in their everyday life or, or, or role. So they decide to get started for free. They do something that indicates they've gotten value, right? You've delivered on the promise that got them to your product in the first place. That means they've activated. And then they convert, typically at a small dollar size to start with, and then they scale, right? Scale within the company or uh, across teams and across departments. Now, let's focus first on this discovery piece. And when we look at how PLG companies acquire users, uh, it tends to be through organic search and SEO. That represents about 40% of new users. And then product viral loops, right? Product invitations, uh, that's about 16%. And then you've got paid marketing, partnerships, cloud marketplaces, and then sales-generated outbound has some role as well. The one that's the most common across just about every PLG company is some sort of organic search or SEO component. And that's the best place to start. Uh, it's efficient, it's scalable, it's extremely relevant for users. Thing is, it's very different to do organic search or oriented marketing from a user perspective compared to a buyer perspective. The upside is you might have hundreds of potential users for your product for every one buyer, so it's much less competitive and you can reach a much broader audience. Uh, but you have to think in terms of the user mindset and user motivation. And so one, one way to unpack this is in, in the sales tech space, a sales executive might be thinking about things like, hey, am I on track to hit my forecast next quarter? Or how do I enable and coach my reps at scale? That's not what an individual rep cares about. An, an individual rep's pain point is more like, I hate the back and forth of scheduling meetings. There must be a better way. Or there's so much sales admin involved in updating Salesforce. There must be a better way. And so you want to market to this end user around the pain points that they experience which ultimately will ladder up to buyer-focused pain. I think Grammarly, uh, which is the, the writing assistant, does an amazing job at this. They recognize that users aren't going out and searching for grammar correction software, right? Some of them might be. Those are probably very high-intent users. But the average person doesn't know that that even exists. 
what they're doing is they're writing and they're realizing, I don't want to sound stupid. Is it no one, no one, or no one? Uh, like, what's the right way to write this? And so they search that on Google. And so Grammarly has hundreds of landing pages for all of these commonly asked grammar questions. They answer your question, right, to add value to the user. But then they show you that there's a better way. Instead of having to go out and search for this, you can embed Grammarly everywhere where you're writing, and it'll automatically correct your writing uh, in line. And so that's the way of bridging that user pain with what their product does at scale. The next pillar here is that community is the new moat. Now, software brands used to be tightly controlled. We all wanted to speak to the same talking points at a really specific ideal customer profile and really be on brand. Now our users are, are, are the brands, right? We've lost some of that control. And what's happened is that people trust other people and are turning to their peers for advice. And that can be an, an extremely powerful growth lever for a PLG business if we can harness it. A company example uh, in this space that I love is around is Webflow, which is in the website design and development space. And community was actually a, an almost an afterthought at Webflow. It's something that they added a couple of days before they launched. Uh, and it's because the founders realized that their audience would be freelancers. These are people who work by themselves really hungry for a community, right, where they could meet their peers, hang out, provide support for one another, show off work to one another. And so Webflow spun up a really quick Discord, and that's become a place for in-depth conversations about all things Webflow, which actually leads to really great long-tail SEO content that brings new folks into the product. And Webflow's continued to innovate here and add community offerings, including their showcase product, which allows uh, Webflow designers and developers to showcase what they've built through Webflow. They have over 100,000 design assets. And that's a great place for these folks to show off their work to get new clients and and ultimately their Webflow clients. Uh, And it's also something that, you know, when you think about these kinds of templates or design assets, these are things that you can build into your product to help teach your users new ways of using your product uh, and to find value really quickly. So it's a win-win. There's a ton of misconceptions about community. And so community is not just another Slack group that uh, you you just decided to spin up because it was easy, right? Or a forum that no one asked for, just sending out swag to your users. Community needs to be designed with and for your target users. And there's a lot of different flavors of how this looks at PLG companies. Uh, I'll I'll, I'll unpack a few of these. One is, instead of building a new community, especially if you're an early company, uh, why not leverage existing communities where your users are already hanging out? You can have a presence there, become a trusted voice in those communities, and sort of benefit from all of the work that's already been put into getting those communities off the ground. And so, for example, if your product is distributed through the Shopify app store and kind of Shopify marketplace, you'd want to be very active in that Shopify merchant community. Now, for other kinds of companies, uh, some folks are in a specific vertical or have a hyper-focused persona. Maybe they are creating a new category, uh, teaching a new way of doing things. You can play the role of connecting users with their peers and really bridge, uh, be, be that bridge for your users. Pocus uh, in the product-led sales space is doing an amazing job at this. Uh, they even built this community before they had a product, uh, and it, it enabled them to build a better product. 
You can also look at how folks are using your product and who's, who are power users and what, what are the ways they've taken advantage of this to create kind of novel and interesting things. And you can showcase their success, amplify this um, so that it, it gets discovered by even more folks. You could think about the Miro, Miroverse, or Notions community templates as two good examples of that. And the final thing is uh, a way to kickstart community is actually just high-value content. So content creates a conversation, creates a discussion, but it has to be really high-value content uh, that will resonate with your audience. I, I see this firsthand. I actually write a weekly newsletter called Growth Unhinged. It's on Substack. Uh, I don't spend any money on acquiring users, but it, the newsletter has grown from zero to more than 20,000 readers uh, in two years, and it's because of the community around the content, and almost everything comes from referrals from other readers. Uh, it's a, it can spark a conversation and really kickstart this community. Next pillar is deliver an instant value and instant customer experience. Again, this is always relative to the alternatives in your market. And what the phenomenon is that users are really just consumers at work, and they have the same expectations for their business software that they've come to have for their consumer software, right? They, they want that same quality of experience. Now imagine that uh, in order to start using uh, Uber, you had to request a demo, maybe get qualified by an SDR, talk to a sales rep, fill out a contract and order form, get configured. Um, you probably would just download Lyft and start using it, right? Uh, and we see that with, uh, with business software users as well, where folks are essentially making a purchase decision on the basis of their product usage and what's easiest to find value in quickly uh, rather than based on dollars. And so in order to make it easy to get started, you want to do things like easy sign-up with ideally an email or maybe a social login through Google, GitHub, you name it. Uh, click-through terms and conditions, automated and interactive onboarding guide in the context of what folks are doing in the product, robust documentation and knowledge bases available for support. Uh, really think in terms of a user-centric sort of onboarding path. In order to tell if you're on the right track, you want to pay attention to a metric called activation. Now, activation is actually a different metric at every company, but what it means is that it's the first moment that your users have uh, seen true value in your product, right? You've delivered on the promise of what brought users to your product in the first place. This is something that should be experienced relatively quickly by your users, ideally within their first week of signing up, if not their first day. You might think of this as like a, you know, a survey monkey. Someone has built their first survey, sent it out, and gotten at least a handful of responses back for it. Now, activation rates of 20 to 40% are pretty common. That's what you should expect. You can aim to be on the higher end if you're a single-player product, right, that can be used by just one person. If your product is meant to be used as a team, aim to be on the lower end. Uh, but essentially, expect fairly high drop-off because PLG companies are bringing people in much earlier in their purchase journey and are getting that much bigger top of the funnel. But if you are finding that you're below 20% or maybe even significantly below 20%, you might need to rethink if your product is ready for a self-service offering. Fourth is to monetize after you've delivered value, right? So if you want to deliver instant value, you can't put it behind a paywall. You have to open up access before asking folks to pay. And just about every PLG company has some notion of a free experience. It could be a freemium product, a free trial, a sidecar product. Uh, and that begs the question of what's better for a PLG business, freemium or free trial? 
We've got a lot of data on this from our product benchmark survey. It turns out freemium products are great at getting folks from your website to signing up for your product because the barriers to adoption are low, but they're very bad at converting uh, historically. So freemium products convert at only about 5%. The conversion also happens over a longer period of time because there's no countdown clock saying your access stops at 14 days. Uh, And so uh, when you look at the trade-offs between the two, freemium products tend to be better if your product increases in value over time or benefits from having more folks using it. But free trials tend to work better if you're looking for more efficient revenue generation from from your user base. And just to add a wrench to things, I actually like to do both. I, I kind of hate this uh, binary of freemium or free trial, and I've seen the rise of the reverse trial, uh, and I'm so glad to see it. Uh, Airtable is a fantastic example for, for folks that use that product. With a reverse trial, your users land in a pro version of your product, right, with access to just about all of the advanced features. And then after a certain period of time, usually around 14 days, they downgrade to the basic free version. And that allows you to benefit from the best of both worlds. You get the signups of a freemium product. You get the uh, ability to put your best foot forward with users and create loss aversion, right, where folks really don't want to give up something once they've started using it. Uh, And that's much more powerful than if you've never given them access in the first place. But then you also get multiple bites at the apple. So if you don't get the conversion at 14 days, you don't lose that user forever. Uh, You can convert them over time if they hit a feature paywall, uh, they hit a call to action in the product, a usage limit, you name it. So you can really get the best of both worlds in a reverse trial. The final principle is to monetize on the basis of usage. Now, this is not mandatory for PLG, but I think it's extremely aligned with the product-led growth strategy. And the the rationale is that asking people to commit before the product usage uh, increases friction and it slows down adoption. So you'd rather land, show value, and expand in a kind of a natural, organic way. And usage-based pricing is essentially the purest form of product-led growth, right? You only get paid as folks use the product and so any investment in R&D is essentially a revenue-generating expense to drive uh, outcomes for your customer. And there are a few things I like about usage-based models. So from a customer standpoint, folks can start at a low cost, which minimizes friction to getting them to start paying. The price scales with the value that they receive, and it allows you to really talk about the value that the customer is going to be getting. You can open up access to how many people in an account can use the product because you're not limiting that customer to one or two or three users. And so that allows you to make that software more ubiquitous and seeds more use cases within an account. And then finally, TAM increases, right, because you make the product more accessible at the lower end while uncapping your upside at the higher end. And the mentality if you have this usage model, is that every team starts playing a role in customer success, driving outcomes for your customers, and then revenue for you. So with product, you're able to start thinking about spending more money on PLG and user experience, and you can see the real revenue generated by those investments. From a marketing standpoint, you start connecting marketing efforts with the product and user community. You educate folks on new use cases and ways of finding value. Uh, sales stops being focused on that booking uh, and starts focusing more on product adoption with customers. And even on the, uh, on the customer success side, you 
you're really incentivized to drive adoption of sticky features that are leading indicators of healthy usage over time. So in wrapping this up, we're in a new era of PLG. Folks are, you know, I, I know a lot of folks are experimenting with PLG or interested in PLG, but the winners are really taking PLG to the next level. And your path to winning uh, is being discovered by users in their moment of need, really thinking about community as your moat, delivering instant value and customer experience, monetizing after delivering value and on the basis of usage. And uh, if you're interested in this topic, I write a lot both on LinkedIn and on Growth Unhinged, my newsletter, so you can find me there. And otherwise, go enjoy lunch. Thanks, everyone.